Well, we are uh, at the very end of a series called Rhythm, and uh, what we're encouraging you to do is to put rhythms in your life that will lead you in the way of transformation. And what we said is that ordinary rhythms have the power to shape us in extraordinary ways. So very simple habits, simple practices actually have incredible power to shape us in incredible life-giving ways. The thing about these rhythms is uh, they're kind of like their resistance. Every, every rhythm that you set in your life is a revolt against old rhythms. And the thing about it is the old rhythms don't go down without a fight. And so the, every new rhythm, every new uh, practice that we introduce, be prepared to fight against the, the old rhythm in order to, to implement this. And, and the rhythm we're going to look at today especially is a rhythm that I think many of us fight against. The rhythm we're going to talk about is uh, the rhythm of service, what it, what it might look like for us to put a rhythm or a practice of serving in our lives. And there's something in us that kind of naturally revolts and resists this, uh, this uh, practice of serving. Uh, there's a story of a, of a couple that went to the doctor, and uh, the, because the man was sick, he was chronically ill, and so they go to the doctor, the doctor runs some tests, he comes back and he says, before I give you the results, um, I want, he looked at the husband, I want you to leave the room and I'll talk to your wife. And so he, he left and he looks at the, the woman and he says, you know, your husband's really sick. And he says, I, I'm not sure if, if, he, if, he, if, he, if he's going to make it, but, but his only chance is if you serve him. If you, you need to take care of him. You need to serve him hand and foot. So you need 24-7, you've got to cook for him and clean for him and bathe him and do everything for him. But, you know, I think that if you work really hard, if you're willing to do this, your husband might live. So the wife uh, left the office, and when she left, the husband said, well, what did he tell you? And she said, I'm sorry, honey, you're going to die. We resist the call to serve others, don't we? There's something in us resists this. And, you know, I feel it. I feel it in my own life. In fact, you know, this last week, you know, it almost seems like whenever I'm working on a sermon, I see it show up in my life. It's one of the hazards of preaching. And, and this last week, I was, I was laying in bed. It was the middle of the night. I was dead asleep. And uh, my dog uh, started scratching to, to get out of the house. And I was thinking, what is this dog doing in the middle of the night? I don't want to get up and let her out. I don't want to, I'm sleeping, I'm warm. I don't want to get out of bed. Somebody else needs to let her out. And I was hoping my wife would uh, let her out of the house. And so, the, but you know, the good pastor I, I am, the, the, what, the thing that I did is I pretended like I was asleep. And I even did like a fake little snore, you know, and she didn't get up, so I eventually got up. But I was resisting this call to serve others. And it's hard, isn't it? I wonder if you struggle with serving others. You know, what the Bible says about us is that the thing that's most basically wrong with us is that our hearts are, as one old theologian put it, our hearts are incurvitus in se, which is a Latin phrase for curved in on itself. And what this means is that our hearts trend towards selfishness. Our hearts naturally uh, resist serving others and go towards serving ourselves. This is just what's natural to us. And so the call to selfishness is, is difficult, and it's, it's something that we resist. And, if, and the, the good news about this is that if this is you, if this is where you're at this morning, you're not alone. From the very beginning, uh, when Jesus first called his disciples to serve, they resisted it. They, were, they, they resisted this call to serve other people, and, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we're going to look at uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, and this is a beautiful story. 
John 13. This is a, a story about Jesus uh, taking up the basin and the towel and washing the feet of his disciples. It's a story about Jesus serving them and loving them. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus just pouring himself out for his disciples. It's the mindset of Christ. It's the mindset of a servant. It's a mindset of lowering himself. It's a beautiful picture in the story, but there's also another picture in the story. Because when Jesus did this for his disciples, their first response was not, oh, how beautiful, I want to do it too. Their first response was not, oh, wow, what an amazing thing that Jesus is doing. Their first response was resistance. In fact, Jesus, you may, or Peter, you may have heard it in the story when it was read. Jesus' first reaction is he looks at Jesus and says, you shall never wash my feet. And he wasn't just saying, Jesus, I don't want you to do this. He's saying, Jesus, I don't want you to do this. I don't want me to do this. This is not what we're about. This is not, this is not what we're going to do now. This is not what I want us to be about as, as your people, as your disciples. Peter resists this call to serve others. And so what I want to do this morning is if, if Jesus is showing us the mind of Christ, the mindset of a servant, I want, I want us to examine the mindset of anti-service. I want us to examine the other mindset that resists pouring ourselves to other people. And I want to get behind what Peter is thinking here. I want us to get into his, his thoughts and see how he argues against service because we do the same thing. Picture yourself almost like in a courtroom, and these are objections. Peter says, I object. Let's get into his mindset and say, why is he resisting this? Why do we resist it? Res resist it? Why don't we want to serve? Well, there's five. There's five objections that I want us to look at this morning. Not three, but five. Five arguments against this call to serve that all of us make. And so uh, let's examine them. So the first one I want us to look at, the first thing that I think Peter is saying when he says, you shall never serve me, we're not going to serve. I think the first thing that he's saying is, I don't want to serve because I am too important to serve. I'm too important to serve. I am above this. I'm too, I'm too important to serve. Now, uh, in the ancient world, washing feet was something that was a custom. So if you opened your house to uh, invite guests over, um, you would always wash their feet. In fact, by the door of every ancient household, there was a basin and a towel. It's because in the ancient world, the main mode of transportation was walking, and they didn't have Adidas or Reeboks back then, so the feet would get dirty. And so whenever you walked into somebody's house, it was expected, it was custom, that you would get your feet washed. Now, the thing about this is, washing feet was an activity reserved for the lowest of slaves. And so uh, there's a line in the Mishnah that says that the only slave low enough to wash feet is a Gentile slave. So this is an activity reserved for the lowest of the low. Why? It's because feet are gross, aren't they? <laughs> Especially dirty, you know, disgusting, you know, barefooted feet. You know, who wants to do that? Well, it was a reserved for the lowest of the low slave. Now, what do we know about this night? They're in the upper room, and what we know is that this is a rented facility. And what that means is that there is no slave there to wash their feet. And we know from another gospel that at this moment, the disciples are locked in an argument. Does anybody remember what they were arguing about? Who is the best one? Who's the greatest? And almost certainly they were arguing over who had to be the one to wash the feet. Nobody else was going to do it. Somebody's got to do it. They're arguing over who is the one who's got to stoop down and wash the feet. I imagine it going like this. Peter says, you know what? 
I'm not washing these feet. I walked on water. Y'all remember that? I was the one to walk on water. I'm not going to wash the feet. But they all responded, yeah, but you sank. <laughs> and then John stands up and says, well, I'm not going to wash the feet. I'm Jesus' favorite. We all know that I'm the one that Jesus loved. There's no way I'm washing feet. And then they all look at Bartholomew, and they, they look over at him, and they say, you know what? Nobody's ever even going to remember that you were even a disciple. You washed the feet. So they're arguing about who's the greatest, who, who has to be the one to lower themselves, to wash these dirty feet. And as they're arguing, Jesus quietly stands up, girds himself with a towel, bends before them, and begins to wash all of his disciples' feet. They would have been astonished at this. It would have blown them away. Because as Jesus slowly washed their feet. He was redefining greatness for them. He said, you want to be important? You want to know what it means to be great? He says, in my kingdom, the greatest are the ones who washed feet. We instinctively resist serving because we believe there's a direct relationship between being served and being important. Jesus turned that idea on its head. In fact, in another gospel, Jesus puts it this way. He says, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. In my kingdom, it's an upside-down kingdom. In my kingdom, greatness is, de is defined by service. The way you become great is by stooping low and serving others. And it raises a question, doesn't it? How do we define greatness? How do we define success? For many of us, you know, success is equated with the amount of money you make, or it's equated with how many awards you've won, or you equate greatness with uh, your giftedness or your power or your prestige. Jesus defines success differently. Uh, I was reading a Time magazine this last week about Kobe Bryant, the tragic death of Kobe and his little, and his little daughter, and there, this Time magazine, it was a tribute to Kobe Bryant. And what was so interesting about the tribute is it went through his life and it highlighted everything great about him. He's charismatic, he's incredibly gifted, he's powerful, both on the, the field, on the uh, you know, basketball court and in Hollywood. And I love Kobe Bryant, but the author of this article was defining greatness for us. Kobe was the GOAT, the greatest of all time, and for this author, it meant his accolades, his achievements, and his giftedness. Jesus says, you want to know what it means to be the GOAT? It means that you're willing to serve. He redefines what it means to be great. And what I love about Jesus' definition is that this means that all of us can be great if we want to. No matter how gifted you are, or wealthy you are, or powerful you are, every single person in God's kingdom could be great if they're only willing to serve. And so here's why you should put a rhythm of service in your life. It reorients your heart, it rewires your heart with, with Jesus' new definition of greatness. Every time you serve, you remind yourself of what being important means, what it means to be great. You rewire your heart towards Jesus' new definition success. You were not too important to serve Peter. Well, there's another reason why I think Peter objected to, to what Jesus is doing here. I think it wasn't only that he was too important to serve. I think he was also saying, no, Jesus, we're too busy to serve. And maybe this is what you're thinking too. Yeah, I would love to serve at our Father's table or in the kids' ministry and 
or I'd love to serve, you know, maybe making coffee in the morning, but you know, I'm just too busy to serve. I have too many other things going on in my life. Well, then Peter was thinking the same thing. Remember, this is the Last Supper, the Last Supper. Jesus had minutes left, and he had a lot to do. He had to prepare his disciples for life in the world without him. He had to teach them about the Holy Spirit and, and, and all, you know, about making disciples and all that. He had to do, he had so many things to do. And maybe, and Peter, I don't know that Peter knew that Jesus was going to die, but he, almost certainly he knew that time was short. Something was going to happen. And he says, Jesus, what do you do? You don't have time for this. We have so many other things to do. Let somebody else do this. You don't have time to do this. To which Jesus responded, Peter, this is why I've come. In fact, Mark, Jesus, in Mark, Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to be served. Jesus was saying, Peter, but this is why I'm here. What do you mean I don't have, I don't have time for this? This is, this is the whole purpose why I've come. Serving is not a distraction from my mission, Peter. Serving is my mission. The Son of Man came to serve. And so it's not a waste of time. And the same is true with all of us. Jesus here is setting an example. He's saying, what's true about me is true about you. You are here to serve. This is your whole mission. You are created and redeemed to be a servant. A servant is not above his master, Jesus said. And if it's true for me, it's true for you. You are here to serve. This is the whole point of life. What do you mean you don't have time? It's almost like for a teacher, some of you are teachers today. What if you came to the principal one day and said, I don't have time, I don't have time to, to teach today. I'm just so busy, so many other things, you know, going on in the class. I don't have time to teach. Your teacher would say, but this is why you're here. What if a fireman, you know, the, the, the alarms go off. I'm a, I just, so many other things going on. I don't have time to fight the fire, but this is what it means to be a fireman. What if I said, I don't have time to preach, you know, so many other things going on. But Brent, you're a preacher. This is what you do. Right? This is why you're here. This is the whole point of life. Of course we have time to serve because this is why we're here. In fact, Jesus at the, at the end, he tells a parable about the judgment, about the sheep and the goats. And they're all lined up. And the, and the question Jesus asks all of us at the end of our life is not, how many awards did you, did you uh, get, achieve? How much money did you make? How many books did you write? How big was your church? None of that. The one question Jesus asks at the end is, who did you serve? I was thirsty. Did you give me something to drink? I was hungry. Did you, did you feed me? I was in prison. Did you visit me? You see, the criterion of the judgment has to do with service. Now you're saying, well, Brent, you know, I thought we were doing a sermon series on rhythm, and that's all about el eliminating things from our calendar and slowing down. Yes, that's true. Don't hear me saying put a whole bunch of new things on your calendar. Clear off your calendar, but put what you put, make, what you're, make sure what you're putting back is that which is most essential. And what I'm telling you this morning is that serving is so essential. And when you put a rhythm of service in your life, you, every time you do that, you're reminding yourself of why you're here. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. 
So maybe Peter has said, I'm too busy to serve. Uh, and, and Jesus says, what do you mean, too busy? This is, this is why we're all here. But maybe there was another thing that, another objection that he had. Maybe he objected, and, and, and maybe he was saying, no, Jesus, you can't serve because you're too hurting and broken to serve. This is an argument that a lot of us make. This is an, ob an, an objection that a lot of us make. I'm just too hurting to serve. I'm too depressed to serve. Wait till I get better. Wait till I'm out of this deep pit of despair, and then I'll serve. And I want you to know that there's, that's kind of a legitimate thing. You know, there's a lot of, of people in this church who, who come to this church to recover. I know it because I, I, in membership interviews, I hear your stories, and you've come, and you've been hurt somewhere else, and you've come here just to rest. And that's legit, and I get that. There is a place to, to sit and rest and recover and to heal. I've got a good friend who says I'm a recovering Baptist. I don't know what that means because I'm not a Baptist. But there are churches that will burn you out and, and grind you to the ground. It's, it's legit to recover. But make sure that you don't wait too long. Because what was going on in Jesus' life at this moment? Jesus was, this was the darkest period of his life, of his short life. In a few, few hours, he would be crucified. And later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says to his disciples, I am sorrowful even to the point of death. He says, I'm so depressed, I, I feel like I want to die. He was traumatized, he was depressed, he was sad. And, and, and if anybody got a pass on serving, it was Jesus in this moment. And Peter's saying, Jesus, sit down, let us serve you. You don't have to do that right now. But Jesus serves, not because he's a tough cookie, but because he knows something about serving. Ser there is, there's power in serving. There's almost a healing power, a restorative power in serving other people. Sometimes one of the best things you can do when you're depressed is to serve somebody else. In fact, there was a, there was a study done at UC Berkeley, and, and in the study, they came up with this term called the activism cure. And what they found is after interviewing just tons of people, that so many people who are depressed and sad and, and suffering from anxiety and so many other, uh, you know, illnesses, they actually felt better after serving. And, and they had some other, uh, on, there was another academic article that was referenced in that. And this article drew together several other studies on, um, on uh, people that were depressed who served. And they, and they connected uh, volunteering with public health. And it said that even teenagers who served unwillingly, <laughs> which if you're a teenager, sometimes that happens. Even teenagers who served unwillingly, like they were made to serve, had lower unplanned pregnancies and drug problems. Volunteering reduced chronic pain and disability. There's a woman in the study, her name was Kate Haney, and she was uh, chronically depressed, struggling with anxiety. She was traumatized as a young girl, abused, and she spent all of her life going to therapists, and she said they helped, you know, that helped a little bit, but she, but she said the thing that finally pulled me out of my darkness was getting involved in charity. And here's what she said. She said, helping others is the best medicine for anyone who has been traumatized. Wow, she's agreeing with Jesus, isn't she? Could it be that the thing that, that, that helps you the most when you're depressed is actually to go and help somebody else? Somehow that pulls you out of yourself and broadens your perspective 
And when you serve, it does something in you. It does something to your heart. There's something healing about it. In fact, John Hartbridge said the primary, primary reason Jesus calls us to servanthood is not just because other people need our service. It's because of what happens to us when we serve. I'm too broken and hurting to serve. Well, what if serving isn't the pathway to your healing? What if it's the best thing for you? Well, maybe there's another um, argument that Jesus had. Here's another objection that maybe he was uh, aiming at Jesus. Maybe he was saying, I'm just too disillusioned to serve. And maybe this is your objection. I'm just too dis disillusioned. I've served other people in the past, and I was hurt by them. I served, and I didn't get a thank you. I served, and they rejected me. I served them, and they didn't deserve it. I served that church, and they did nothing to say thank you. And this is a bummer. When you serve somebody, you should get a thank you. People should be grateful, but we all know that when you serve, that's not always the case. So often, the response we get from service is either nothing or, or even ingratitude. And so that might make us disillusioned. Uh, in the movie, uh, the great uh, work of art, uh, Paddington 2, there's a character who's played by Bernard Gleason. Some of you may have remembered him. He's, his, he's, his name is Knuckles in the, in the movie. He's like this prisoner who's hard and big and burly and mean and cruel. And he has this thing that he says over and over again in the film. Uh, he, he looks at everybody and he says, I don't do nothing for no one for nothing. Dubious grammar, right? But he's a prisoner. <laughs> I don't do nothing for no one for nothing. And we all have an inner Knuckles, don't we? I've been burned in the past. I'm always giving myself out, I'm pouring myself out. I don't get a thank you. And I served and they were ingrateful and I served and the church didn't give anything back. And I served and I served and they didn't deserve it, so I'm not doing it again. I don't do nothing for no one for nothing. Who were the guys that Jesus served in this moment? We served his disciples and, and what, what were they gonna do? In a few short moments, one of them would betray him, one of them would deny him, and all of them with their washed feet would walk away and leave him in the darkness. Did they deserve Jesus to wash their feet? No. So why did Jesus do it? Because, why did he do it? Because Jesus knew that serving was not about giving some, getting something back. The very definition of serving is doing it with no strings attached. You don't serve so that the church can, you know, give something back in the form of some position or something like that. You give because you give. And notice, when Jesus gave here, he didn't serve out of an inner need. Some of us serve out of an inner need. You know, we serve because we need the thank you, or we need the approval, or we need something. Jesus gave not out of an inner need, but an inner fullness. At the beginning of the passage, it says, here was Jesus' inner state. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. He knew exactly who he was. And out of this sense of inner fullness, he poured himself out. You see, in order to serve the way God wants you to serve, uh, no strings attached, you've got to be full. Your cup needs to be full, and you serve out of the, the overflow. So you might say, well, I'm just too disillusioned to serve. Well, serving is all about grace, isn't it? Jesus served you. No strings attached. 
Jesus, Jesus poured himself out for you, expecting nothing in return, and he says, I want you to do the same thing. Well, maybe there's a final reason, and I'll get here, here. Maybe the final reason is, might be put this way. I don't want to, you can't make me. <laughs> here, I, I'm saying, here, we should put a rhythm of service in your life, you know, serve in Sunday school, our Father's table, make coffee in the morning, do something. And you're saying, I don't want to, you can't make me. Because I know, what's, I know what makes me happy. Giving up my Saturday to, to serve people food is not going to make me happy. I want to be at the lake. Thank you very much. I know what makes me happy. Getting up early on a Sunday is not, that doesn't make me happy. Netflix makes me happy. I know what makes me happy. Wiping the snotty nose of a toddler does not make me happy. I've already got enough snotty nose at home that, to, to wipe. That will, what will make me happy is a little rest and a little me time, and I know what makes me happy. To which Jesus would respond, oh, you do, do you? Do you know what really makes you happy? There's another, uh, another study. It was a book uh, by a guy named Daniel Gilbert. And in the book, he says that we are actually terrible at predicting what will make us happy. And in the book, he, he, gives, he interviews tons of people that are happy that actually shouldn't be according to our definition. So he interviewed several people. Um, one guy he interviewed was, uh, his name was Jim Wright. And uh, if you don't know him, he was the chairman of the House of Representatives, uh, the most powerful Democrat in the House. And in a scandal, he lost everything. And they interviewed him after all this went down. And this is what he said. He said, I am so much better off physically, financially, mentally, in almost every way after I've lost everything. I mean, he covered all the bases, didn't he? Physically, financially, mentally. I'm better off now that I've lost everything. He interviewed another guy named Maurice Bickham. Uh, this is a guy who spent 34 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. After his, he was released, this is what he said, I don't have a minute's regret. It was a glorious experience. They, they interviewed a guy named Harry S. Longerman, uh, who uh, apparently years ago, he had the opportunity to invest $10,000 in, in a small startup restaurant called McDonald's. And he didn't. He chose not to. And so they interviewed him years later, like, do you regret this at all? Here's what he said. He said, I believe it turned out for the best. Interviewed another guy, Pete Best. Anybody know who Pete Best is? original drummer for the Beatles. Apparently he was fired. They hired Ringo Starr and the rest is history. But they interviewed him and said, do you regret this at all? I mean, you could have been in the, the Beatles, the Beatles. And you could have been, the, you know, in, this, in the most successful band of all time. And this is what he said. I am happier than I would have been with the Beatles. And so Daniel Gilbert, this is his conclusion. He said, he said there's something profound about all these examples. He says that they give us the, the recipe for happiness. Here it is. He gives us steps. He says, first, if you want to be happy, accrue wealth, power, and prestige, and lose everything. Number two, spend as much of your life as possible in prison. Number three, make someone else really, really rich. And number four, never, ever, whatever you do, never, ever join the Beatles. <laughs> the 
point he's making is that human beings are notoriously bad about predicting what will make us happy. You don't know what will make you happy. You think you do, but you don't. And we say, well, if I don't know what will make me happy, well, who does? How about Jesus? At the end of this living parable, after he's washed everybody's feet, he looks out at his disciples and he says, you see what I've done for you? Happy are you if you do it. Jesus Christ, the smartest man who ever lived. Jesus Christ, who made you, he wrote the instruction manual for the human. Jesus Christ, with profound psychological insight, looks at all of us and he says, I know what will make you happy. Oh, it's paradoxical, you'll never believe it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. You let go of your life and you let go of your time and your energy and you spend that on somebody else. You don't want to do it. I want to be happy. But if you, he says, if you lose your life, you'll find it. It is the pathway to joy, to full flourishing. It's what you need more than anything else. Albert uh, Schweitzer put it this way, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. I don't want to. You can't make me. Well, you know, listen, we can't, I can't make you serve. And here's the deal. Like, you don't need to serve in order to be saved. You are saved through what Jesus Christ did for you. The point of the parable here is that, that Jesus Christ washes our feet. He serves us. We are washed. We are clean. We are saved, not because of what we do for others, but what Jesus Christ has already done for us. You don't have to serve in order to be saved. You already are. Through believing in, in what he has done for you. But serving is an invitation. It's not a means to salvation. It is a joyous invitation. Jesus says, just look at what I've done. And you don't need to do this to be saved. He says, just look at what I've done. I am, I am outlining the pathway to your deepest happiness. What you've seen me do, I want you to do to each other. Well, let me end with just an application. The application is really simple. I want you to put a rhythm of serving in your life. And at this church, we're very passionate about you coming in here and not just sitting in a seat. And some of you, just coming and sitting in the seat, that's a huge deal. For some of you, it took titanic courage to just come and sit in a service. And I applaud you for that. But I want to encourage you to go further. I want you to sign up to serve in a ministry here. Not just inside the church, but maybe even outside of the church. Uh, we have a list of them at the Welcome Center. So if you're not, some of you are already serving, and that is wonderful. I'm, I'm hoping you're finding what Jesus says to be true. But if you're here and you're, you haven't served yet, I want to encourage you to sign up to serve in a ministry. Kids ministry, tech ministry, worship ministry, our Father's Table, making coffee, welcome team. There are lots of things to choose from. And, and signing up is, is important because by signing up, what you're doing is you are putting a rhythm into your calendar. You're scheduling service into your calendar. 
all of us, we have an idea like, oh yeah, I want to be a selfless person. Yes, I want to get to my end of my life and I want to say that I've served humanity or whatever. You won't do that unless you schedule it into your calendar. Our Father's table, once a month, I'm doing it. And you'll find that as you get yourself in this rhythm and this pattern of serving, it will shape you. It will shape you into greatness. It will shape you into health and healing. It will shape you into humility. So find somewhere to serve. Even if you're, you know, maybe you're chronically ill. You know, one thing you can do is pray, get in a prayer ministry. You could commit to praying for the church. That's something you can do in your bed. But put a rhythm of serving in your life and see what God will do through it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful uh, living parable that you give us as you wash feet. You're teaching us, Lord. You're teaching us about your way, about your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that even as we resist, as we resist service, I pray that you would argue against us, convince us, Lord, that serving is the pathway to our full joy. I pray that you would um, enable us, encourage us to uh, sign up for a ministry here. I pray that just throughout our lives as we live it with our families and um, interact with our spouses, Lord, that you would just make us people that exemplify your beauty. That you were a man who stoops low and humbly washes feet. Help us to do likewise. In Jesus' name we pray.